listening to Goal Line Extended on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. What's going on, lacrosse fans? Welcome to Goal Line Extended on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. Today is Tuesday, August 31st, and I'm your host, Ryan Holtzbuzz. And whether you are watching on YouTube or listening on any podcast platform, we're glad that you're here as we have a fairly massive show planned for today. We're going to begin by looking at some of these PLL Futures odds as we approach the semifinals this weekend with just four teams remaining. And we'll have some more on the two matchups that we'll see this weekend later on in the show, as well as some questions that we have in terms of the few guys currently still on uh, the league's injured list. But wedged right in between there is a very special guest who gave us his time over the weekend as he prepares for this weekend's semifinal up in Philadelphia as Chaos head coach Andy Towers will be joining us in just about 10 minutes as he and his team get set to make or uh, to take on the Atlas this Sunday. The last time we had Coach Towers uh, on the show during the preseason, he was out walking his dog. Still one of the best interviews that I've done in my year plus or so of interviewing people here with with Flash and obviously with last year. Uh, but as he was getting set and preparing for the season at that point, this time it's a semifinal that he's preparing for. So we'll see what he has to say. And then I haven't gotten the chance to watch this one back yet, but I'd imagine it's electric. It's Andy Towers. You see what he's like on the field. It's must-have, must-watch TV, and we'll get to see him lead the chaos into their third semifinal appearance. We'll first get to what he has to say about it in the chaos 2021 season as a whole in a little bit. Let me first welcome in Austin Owens, lacrosse flash editor-in-chief, who was at it all weekend and the end of last week covering the NLL's college entry draft, which took place on Saturday. And what we're going to dive into first here, the NLL college draft. But a busy weekend. Austin, how are we feeling today? Ryan, I am doing very well. Um, like you said, we're through you know the busy time when that is the NLL offseason. Uh, PLL is coming up, so it's a good time to be a lacrosse fan. I can't complain. Oh, very great. Good time to really get into lacrosse if that's something that if, if you're watching this, listening to this, if that's something that you think about, great time to get in lacrosse. Obviously, we have the PLL semifinals this weekend, uh, PLL championship in two weekends after that. We'll have a bye weekend in between, but we'll be here talking about it uh, as we approach that. But for all our NLL fans and really all of our lacrosse fans in general, we hope that you were able to catch this year's draft because it's, if you missed it, Obviously, you can find the results on the Lacrosse Flash social media. I know on Instagram we have them all very nicely organized, so you can go check it out there. But in the broadcast of this draft, we had a ton of guys from Flash involved as we had Teddy and Pat representing. They then jumped on with you, Austin, on our Flash Twitter spaces as the draft continued into the later rounds. Uh, great time that we that uh, you guys put on there. I hope everyone was able to tune in for that. But if you missed anything and you're just – Finding out about, about all this right now, we saw Maryland's Jonathan Donville selected first overall by Panther City, the 2021 expansion club, followed by Ryan Lanchbury out of Richmond. Now, there were questions about whether that would be the case, that these two guys in particular would go in the top two picks as Donville is transferring from Cornell to Maryland for his fifth and final year of eligibility, and Lanchbury is finishing or is returning, I should say, to Richmond to finish that fifth and final year come this spring. So both will be unavailable this NLL season, and both Panther City and the Swarm will have to wait until next year before they can get their respective draft pick. But Austin, in terms of talking to and hearing what you guys have to say, you, Teddy, Pat, Ty, it seems like these two teams are content with that fact that they'll need to wait a year before they get their guy. 
Yeah, it was interesting to see Panther City because there was a lot of talk um, before the draft that, you know, they were going to weigh whether or not they wanted a guy that they had to wait on for a year or a guy that they were going to, you know, have step in right away. So the top name on the board there was Adam Sherilyn Beatty's the attackman from Rutgers. Uh, you know, he's been away from box lacrosse for a little while, but he plays for the Orangeville Northmen. And I'm sure just from being around lacrosse, Ryan, you've heard of the Orangeville Northmen. Mac O'Keefe right. played for them and pretty much half the NLL played for them. They're very good at, you know, bringing up lacrosse players. The unfortunate thing with him, Sherilyn Beatty's, and I know I'm sort of burying the lead here, which is Jonathan Donville. I'll get to him in a second. Sherilyn Beatty's is in 2018. He was supposed to play for the Brampton Excelsiors. That team, I believe, would have been Sherilyn Beatty's, Jeff Teat, Clark Peterson, and Tyson Gibson all together on the same offense. So kind of stripped of that. That's a pretty good offense. Just knowing, you know, obviously a few of those names. In terms of junior standards, that's about as good as you can get. Um, Yeah. So, you know, Vancouver ends up with Sherilyn Beatty's at four, and I won't touch on him too much. Uh, they're getting, a, you know, a 25-year-old, and that's sort of the thing that Panther City had to, you know, weigh, is do you get the 25-year-old rookie in Sherilyn Beatty's? It's a very, you know, peculiar situation when it comes to the NLL draft. You usually get a guy at, you know, 22, 23, maybe 21. You know, you get an outstanding circumstance that's an 18- or 19-year-old when they renounce their NCAA rights. But Jonathan Donville was the guy here. Um, you know, he's not... All due respect to him, he's not a Jeff Teat. I don't think you can put that kind of expectation on anybody other than Jeff Teat, to be quite honest with you. Even even Deoka, I think, you know, he was he was a big, big name coming into the draft. I you can't put that kind of expectation on any player to be, you know, we talk about generational talent a lot. Uh Jeff Teat is that. Um Jonathan Donville's an elite player. And he's going to be an elite player when he joins Panther City. I think the best thing for them is that he's going to get a year at Maryland. He's probably going to contend for a national title, and then he's going to get a full year of summer box lacrosse before he comes into camp with Panther City. And he was already, I believe, a top-five scorer in the major series lacrosse uh, circuit this year in their shortened season. So the, the kid's a stud. He's going to be fantastic. It's just, you know, the waiting game. But I think for Panther City, they're not in a position where they're going to contend this year. They're, you know, one year – they're going to be a couple of years away from being a playoff team. Maybe I'm wrong. But – they don't need a guy that can step in right away. You you got to take the best guy for your team, and that was Donville. Waiting to wait here is Panther City and Georgia selecting. Obviously, Panther City selecting Donville first overall. Lanchbury going to Georgia second overall. And then with that third overall pick, the Buffalo Bandits selected former Albany attackman Token Nantico, who you mentioned there before. And then later in the first round, Buffalo added another Albany product when they acquired Connor Fields from the San Diego Seals. In return, they sent the 13th overall pick, which the Seals used on forward Jacob Dunbar, and also a second-round pick in next year's draft. But, Austin, as you said there, on one hand, we got Panther City, uh, obviously building as they're the expansion team, but they're in no rush. They take Donville, the Swarm coming off a 7-5 2020 before the season got shut down, fighting in that East Division with Albany in the wings. That'll now become that Eastern Conference. Still a really strong roster. They're adversely in contend mode, and they get this pick by way of a trade with the Riptide. So they're willing to also wait. They take Lanchbury. Now we see Buffalo, another team fully in that contend mode, take Tohoka and then make a huge splash to bring in Connor Fields, who proved this summer with the Archers that he is – fully back to being the Connor Fields that we know and that we're used to. But yeah. how do you expect that these two guys fit in on this offense as they're, they're still trying to contend? They're going to be one of those teams uh, that we should expect to be in the playoffs making a deep run at this thing. 
I forgot to mention Ryan Lanchbury, so I'll just touch on him real quick off the top. I'm sorry that I sort of buried your question there. But, oh, absolutely. Go ahead. Um, you know, he sort of fills a spot with Randy Stotts being gone uh, due to injury and Zed Williams being traded. So that was sort of the other slam dunk pick. I won't touch too much on Lanchbury, but I think he had 29 points in five games during the summer season this year. So he is going to be very good once he comes from Richmond. Same deal as Donville. He'll have another full season with Richmond, and then he's going to play uh, another full summer, I believe, with Oakville. So, you know, another another great player. Um, Tohoka was, I don't want to say a surprise, maybe to Buffalo, he was a surprise. We expected him to go this early. I think what we expected was he wasn't going to make it past the fifth pick. I think San Diego would have taken him in a heartbeat if he made it that far. And I think Vancouver would have even taken a shot at him because of just the star power that Tohoka brings. Um, <laughs> that field's trade is very interesting to me. Um, and I know we, you know, you know fourth wall break here, but we obviously talked to coach towers before the draft, uh, the day of the draft. And so we didn't have a chance to talk to him about Connor field. It's not his player anymore, but it's very interesting to me to see, see, you know, how everything shook down with chaos. I don't know the situation behind the scenes there. Um, but you know, the thing we talk about with chaos is half their roster is Buffalo bandits. And those yeah. guys were around last season when Connor fields got benched. So I'm very interested. Obviously, you know, Steve Dietrich, the GM of the Bandits, didn't make this move without talking to the likes of Dane Smith or Josh Byrne or anything like that. So they've obviously okayed it. Um, it'll just be interesting to see how he fits in this offense because, you know, the, the Bandits, for my money, had the best draft of any team, maybe other than the Saskatchewan Rush. Um, but I think they, they went out and they already had one of the best rosters in the league, same with Sask, but... Buffalo went out and got Tohoka. They got Thomas Basin, who was a 100-point scorer in the BC Junior League last summer or two summers ago. Um, and now they go get Connor Fields, who's proven that he can be a point producer in the NLL after he came off that ACL injury. So, you know, it's it's going to be interesting because, you you know, you have a lefty side now that's going to be Josh Byrne, Chris Cloutier, and Connor Fields. And then you have a righty side, which is stupid good. It's Dane Smith. It's Tohoka Nanticoke. It's Chase Fraser, and then you have uh, Kyle Buchanan, who I can't forget on the righty side, who's a fantastic veteran who's been around the NLL for a number of years now and been fantastic. Uh, first, I believe, for New England and then now for San Diego recently and now with Buffalo. So this offense might be the best in, in the league right now. And I, I was going to say it on Twitter. I don't think I it got saved in drafts by accident, accident but a two-man game with Dane Smith and Toka is not fun for anybody. It's bad for business if you're in It does not sound fun at all. No, you either get run over by Tohoku or you get beat underneath by Dane for a quick shot on your goalie. It's just none of those guys are going to be a joy to play against. And then you have Cloutier and uh, and Byrne banging on the other side. It's Buffalo's, you know, I, I hate to say it because I'm, I'm with Halifax, but Buffalo's a bit of a wagon this year. You got to watch out for them because their defense is good. They still have Matt Vink or Vince who's, you know, one of the best goalies of all time. And now they have arguably the best offense in the league. So that's a, that's a hell of a pick. Uh, I really like seeing Tohoka in Buffalo. That's one of the places that he'll truly flourish. I know we've been using that term a lot over the last couple of days, but he'll be fantastic there. We're going to have much more on the upcoming NLL season on this show, other programs as well from flash that will be rolling out ahead of the season. So make sure to keep your eyes and ears open for that. But like I said before you check out, or uh, you can also check out the full results on the flash Instagram, but Austin, this bandits team, as you said, they look very dangerous heading into this 2021, 2022 season set to start the first weekend of December. A lot of familiar names, especially if you are a PLL fan, especially a chaos fan as the bandits now add a former chaos player 
to this mix. You named uh, all those guys there on the offense, whether it's Burns, Smith, <laughs> Cloutier, Fraser, uh, Ian McKay, Fields, Toka, Nance Coke now being added to that list. And Justin Gutterding is even on the Bandits' protected player list, according to their roster webpage, former yeah. NCAA all-time score. I'm not sure how updated that is, but he no, is there. Right. He is, so they, that they is right. So if you're a Bandits fan, you got to be feeling real good about where your team's at heading into this season. And frankly, if this was my team, like if this was the New York Yankees, I'm a New York Yankees fan, obviously, right now. I'm a big optimist for the Yankees, but I'm a huge optimist. I'd have huge expect, uh, huge expectations coming in right now if I was a Bandits fan. I feel like, you know, being a, you know, New Jersey, you know, I know, but being a Yankees fan and sort of being in that New York area, I feel like you might be swayed to Buffalo now. It might not be hopping on the bandwagon. I'll give you a break because they haven't won a title in a couple of years. But, you know, I'd put some stock in the Bandits this year. They're going to be tough. It, it's weird. We were talking about this on the spaces because that North Division is Halifax, Toronto, and Buffalo. Three elite teams. And all due respect to Rochester, they're up and coming. But they they traded their first. They didn't do themselves any huge favors in this draft, even though they got a good player by trading that first. Halifax, Buffalo, and Toronto is going to be a war because they're going to play each other a bunch this season. Uh, I forget the new division alignment. I think it's just East and West now. It's not mm -hmm. the three division like it used to be. Um, but they're they're going to play each other a whole lot. And every time they play each other, it's going to be appointment viewing. It's going to be fantastic. I, I can't wait to watch it. I watched it last year when I was covering The Rock, and every game was back and forth. You didn't know who was going to win. It's like the PLL. In any given game, anyone could have beat anyone. It was fantastic to watch. So I'm excited to see this because I think Buffalo was probably the team. I don't want to say, well, let's say they were sort of behind a little bit. I think Halifax and Toronto were buzzing a little bit. And Buffalo sort of lost a couple games. I think Buffalo's maybe going to make a lot of people um, sort of, <laughs> I'm, I'm at a loss for words here. Their offense is so good. I think they're really going to give make people pay attention to them this year is what I'm trying to get across. Very excited for the NLL season, obviously starting the weekend of December 3rd and 4th. And talking about the Bandits, obviously talking about the chaos could have been a very good segue into our interview with chaos head coach Andy Towers. But before we do that, I want to quickly take a look at the most updated PLL futures lines provided by DraftKings on this year's PLL championship. As the Whipsnakes began the regular season as the favorite back in June, the two-time defending champs, they're now back as the league favorite heading into this weekend's semifinal as the five seed at plus 175 with the Wardogs following at plus 250. They're the one seed, and we'll see that matchup this weekend. On the other side, the Atlas, who are the two seed and who I'd argue is playing some of the best lacrosse in the league. They're at plus 275. The Chaos sit at plus 400. They are the sixth seed. They are the lowest remaining seed in the playoffs. But as we all know, this could go any way and any which way. And heading into this weekend, I have the Wardogs at plus 1,000 from the preseason. I added the Atlas ahead of the playoffs at plus 450. And then, then in honor of having Coach Andy Towers today, <laughs> even though I don't know if he wants me to do this, I'm adding the Chaos. He specifically told us not to. He, he told us not to. He, he specifically told us not to. I'm adding the chaos, though, at a plus 400. I just think the odds are too good. Obviously, having the water dogs. I got the the, the water dogs at great odds uh, ahead yeah. of this season. So hoping that that one obviously comes out. But adding this water dog or uh, this chaos one, I should say, would be good. Lost the arches one, so we got to replace it. But we're cornering the market here around the whip snakes. Nothing <laughs> against the whip snakes. We, I just don't want to see a, a three-peat here from the two-time defending champs, obviously hoping to continue riding with the Wardogs. But Austin, the Whipsnakes are back as the favorites. Do you see it that way heading into this Sunday? It's hard not to, um, honestly. And I, I think we've talked about this on PLL Flash and GLE. And since Matt Rambo's come back, they're just 
speaking of wagons, I was talking about, you know, Buffalo earlier, like the whips are the wagon in the league with all due respect to every other team. Uh, how do you not consider them the favorites? Like I could pump their tires again. I think I did it on PLL flash last week. They're just, they're dominant. Um, and are you going to bet against Matt Rambo in Philadelphia? I'm like, doing it. I am. Okay. Fair enough. I, I'm not. Um, that's I, him and Zed Williams and Joe Nardella and, those boys are something. I think the only way they lose a game is if their scoring doesn't come around and Burnlore has another, you know, tough, tough one in net. Um, but I don't think you're holding them off the board long enough to, you know, win a game. But I, I'll happily be wrong there. As of right now, I am. I was big coming into the season on the War Dogs. I am staying big on the War Dogs. I'm not going. I'm not. I can't pick against the War Dogs here in this semifinal game. So we got to make sure we do it here, uh, cornering around the Whip Snakes. But we will see how it all unfolds but a big weekend ahead a lot of stakes on the line we'll wait and see how they unfold and we'll have much more looking ahead to those games on the other side of this interview as Austin, let's kick it over to andy towers head coach of the chaos lacrosse club Welcome back to Goal Line Extended on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. I hope you're all having a great day and enjoying the show as we begin to look ahead to this weekend's PLL semifinals. And we have a very special guest joining us today to do just that as the chaos led by head coach Andy Towers will head into Philadelphia, having now won three of their last four games since coming out of the All-Star break and playing in their third straight semifinal with a spot in the 2021 PLL Championship game at Steak. Coach Towers, welcome back to Goal Line Extended. I appreciate you joining us. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm, hey, as you said before, when, when you joined in our call at first, I feel above average, definitely Mark. much more above average than I was now that uh, we got you in here to talk. Uh, very glad to have you on with us. I, uh, you know, coming off big playoff win for your team, obviously, uh, kind of the, the storyline around around your team the last couple weekends is that not many people, fan vote, obviously, just the, the thing that, that's been called out. Not many people uh, picking your team here and your team continues to uh, get big wins and, and continue uh, to move on. Yeah, honestly, uh, the only opinion that I care about uh, are the opinions of the guys in our locker room. Those are the only ones that matter. Those are the only ones that go to practice. Those are the only ones that are in our huddles. Those are the only ones that are in our locker room. And, uh, you know, there's not a doubter uh, in our locker room. Definitely going to be big going into a big semifinal game against the Atlas. And I expect that it's been a uh, pretty wild week here for you and your staff. Your team coming off a big quarterfinal win last Friday night, upset win against the Archers. You get a week off to relax a little bit, but now ramping up uh, here for this weekend semifinal against the Atlas. And what will be the second meeting between your two teams? We'll get to that quarterfinal win and this semifinal matchup in a moment. But coach, just looking back at, the last time that your team played against this Atlas team. Back in week five, your team took a 16-10 to 10 loss. And what was the fourth loss of the regular season for your team? At that point, heading into the All-Star break, you're sitting at 2-4 and four towards the bottom of the table. How far has this group come since that point 
because you look at the results since then. Your team's won three of the last four, plus six score differential in that span, and now you're one win away from a second straight championship appearance. So how far has this team come uh, from that loss there in week five? Well, we're going to find out, you know, when we get to Philadelphia and play the Atlas on September 5, how far we've come. You know, I felt like going into that game, we were coming off of wins in Baltimore and Long Island. We were playing well, and we ran into a very, very well-coached and super talented Atlas team. Uh, you know, unfortunately, we did not have Jack Rowlett playing in that game. And so that was something that, um, you know, threw us a little bit off on the defensive end. And then you marry that up with, uh, the success of Trevor Baptiste had that day against us, uh, you know, won 70%. And it's a tough hill to climb. You know, we we jumped out to a 3-0 lead and they scored nine in a row on us, uh, you know, and and but we were able to rally. Uh, C.J. Cosby hit a two-pointer. We had a couple of good offensive possessions and we got it to within a goal with about six minutes left and had the ball. Uh, but credit them. You know, they got a defensive stop. They scored in transition. Jeff Teat went off on us, um, you know, and, and they certainly put us back in our place and made us regroup. And we feel like we've done that. You know, uh, certainly our success in terms of winning games, the last five games uh, is, is, is pretty well documented. You know, we lost, obviously, to the Redwoods by a goal on, uh, on Sunday, the second game of the last weekend up in Albany. And, um, you know, but other than that loss, we've beaten the Archers twice and we beat the Chrome in Colorado Springs. And we feel like we've figured out who we want to be. And we feel like we got the right pieces on the field. And we feel like, um, you know, we're unified as a locker room. And, and, and I think that's what makes any team dangerous, but, uh, you know, we feel that that's our greatest strength. We, we genuinely have, you know, 19 guys that are egoless that will be taking the field in Philadelphia. And I don't feel like the pressure is on our team. You know, they're the ones that beat us 16 to 10. Um, you know, they were at the top of the standings all summer long and deserved it. They've played great and they're, and they're unified. And you got to credit Ben Rubior and Kenny Clawson and their uh, staff and their players they are just, uh, you know, a, a really dangerous team. And with their youth and their athleticism, J.D. Colarusso filled in great for John Concanon uh, or Jack Concanon. And, and it's just, uh, you know, they're, they're a scary team. You know, they're, they're one of the best teams in the league this summer. And we're certainly going to have our hands full in Philadelphia on Sunday. So much talent in this league, and obviously you look at this Atlas team, a lot of young talent, uh, obviously Ruby, you're kind of in this offseason, kind of tearing things down, building things back up, and uh, obviously, as you said, done a very good job doing that. But your team, as you said, got off to an 0-3 start through the first two weekends, then back-to-back -back wins there in weeks three and four before falling to the Atlas there in week five. And then, as I said before, getting really hot here over the past couple weekends down the stretch as the Chaos have won three of their last four games and none bigger so far than that quarterfinal W on Friday night against the Archers in a game where almost everyone counted you guys out on our flash PLL picks. The Jenners, Teddy and Mackie were the only ones that had the chaos winning. 13% of fans in the PLL fan vote had the chaos winning. I know you said before, really the guys in the locker room are the only ones that care, but obviously kind of a big thing with a few of the guys on your team, like all oh, the 13%, you know, keep down us. And you guys have obviously taken that and have uh, taken that and used that as an advantage. And we saw last summer, 
at the championship series. And we're seeing it now through just this one playoff game in the past couple weekends that this chaos team is not one that you want to count out too early, uh, obviously getting high here at the right time. And coach, it seems like this group has bought into kind of that mindset that almost everyone, practically everyone besides the guy in the locker room, uh, you know, at this point in the season is counting you guys out. Yeah. You know, listen, I mean, the idea, we have one goal as a team and that's to win the PLL championship. And certainly every time we play, we're trying to win. We're doing everything that we can to win last year's team was a, uh, a totally different scenario with a totally different locker room than this year's team. You know, it, it appears as though this year's team is on a similar path, but we don't think about last year at all. This is, you know, this summer and this coming game this Sunday is, is totally unique to this specific team. We got off to a slow start. You know, we had a tough training camp as it relates to available bodies, you know, due to uh, some visa issues due to some injury issues, uh, due to a few guys uh, choosing not to play this summer, we ended up with uh, a thin roster going into uh, certainly that first game versus the Whip Snakes, and then that second weekend where we played uh, the Water Dogs and the Archers. And you know we were in a position where we could have won those games. I don't, we, we were not in a position to win the whip snakes game in week one. They jumped out, you know, to a big lead and, and pounded us start to finish. Uh, you know, honestly, the, the water dogs, we were within two goals. We had a chance there and the archers, we were actually up six, one at, at the end of the first quarter, I believe. And we may yeah. have even been, I think it was seven, seven and a half time. You know, they, they took it to us in the second quarter. We had won the first quarter, um, but, but we didn't deserve to win either of those games in, in games two and three. We go against the Redwoods in Baltimore, and we're certainly mindful of how uh, much improved they were, you know, from the previous year. And they were really good the year before, too. You know, they only lost to the Whipsnakes, I think, in overtime in the semis in the bubble. And so, you know, they've been right there. They lost in the championship game the first year, and, and, and they are right there with the best teams in the league. Um, but going into that week four, you know, we need we knew we needed to cut down on the offensive turnovers because we just weren't winning a lot of faceoffs. And TD Ireland took it to us in that game, won seventy five percent of the draws, and you know, yet we were able to cut down the turnovers enough where we came out with the win against a really good Redwoods team that was playing as well as anybody. And we were able to ride that momentum uh, into the next weekend in Long Island uh, against a dangerous Cannon team that you know is explosive offensively. And then we, of course, went out and played the Archers, or I'm sorry, the Atlas in uh, in Minnesota, and they played really well. And and you got to credit them and, and knocked us down a bit. And then we have, of course, had the bye weeks in the All-Star game and came back and regrouped with a, a, a better idea of, of where we were going, um, you know, and feeling like we had sort of 19 or 17 of our 19 spots figured out. We were figuring out sort of who the t last two right-handed offensive players were going to be for us and uh and then you know we're able to win that game played well and then we've got a, had a slightly different roster going into uh the first game of albany against the archers and played really well you know we we didn't shoot particularly well but a big part of that was adam gittiman playing just an incredible game against us and he's had a great year in general and, uh, you know, but he played an exceptional game against us and, and we won, 
Um, but we didn't finish very well. And then, of course, we played the Redwoods that Sunday with the same exact roster. And I felt we played well in that game, too. But Timmy Trouder played really, really well again. And so we were hoping to finish better, shoot more responsibly and, and have more success. And we felt that we were able to do that and certainly ride the success that Max Adler had at the face-off X, ride the success that Jack Rallette had in, uh, in covering Grant Amen, and ride what has been a, a 10-foot surfboard for us uh, since the first season, and that's the play of Blaze Reardon, who simply put is the best player in the world at this point. And so we feel like we know who we are, but we also feel that we have to continue to get better and play our best game this weekend against the Atlas in order for us to come out with the desired result. And that's a win against a really, really talented and well-coached team in the Atlas in order to have a shot to accomplish, you know, the goal of our locker room. Absolutely. And this, this Atlas team being the number two seed, obviously lost there in that, that number one overall seed game there in week eight. But uh, you said it there, your team coming into this game, uh, it's it's really just different guys stepping up at different times. We saw here in uh, in this quarterfinal game, which we'll get to in a little bit, but Kyle Jackson coming out of nowhere, uh, putting together a really good performance for this chaos team. But let's take a look at this win from this past weekend as your team can advance in these PLL playoffs an inch closer, obviously, to that goal of your locker room, to that championship game. You start with this quarterfinal round against a fairly familiar team and a team that your squad has been very successful against over the past three seasons in the Archers. You come into this one without one of the bigger pieces offensively for your team over the past couple weekends. And really, all season in attackman Chris Cloutier, he was placed on that injured reserve following your Week 8 doubleheader and this is a guy that has recorded a point in every game this season but one for your team he scored multiple points in all but two games he's had a four goal game just a couple weeks ago against the chrome so clearly a huge loss ahead of elimination lacrosse but filling his shoes as i just said without skipping a beat is kyle jackson he hasn't played since that week five loss to the atlas he comes in puts up six points off four goals and two assists and we've seen that a few times this season where somewhat unfamiliar faces on your team come in and put up huge performances, whether it's rookie Ryan Smith, who you drafted in the later rounds of the college draft. We've seen Chase Frazier in recent weeks, who NLL and Buffalo Bandits fans are fully aware of, and PLL fans were fully introduced to back in week eight. And now we saw it last weekend from Jackson helping propel this team to the play uh, through, you know, in the playoffs. But when it comes to this offense, you've got the stars and the regulars and guys like Josh Byrne and Dane Smith, who are the catalysts of this offense, putting up huge point totals on a regular basis. And then it's these other guys stepping up big that seems to have made all the differences here over the last few weekends, especially in this quarterfinal win. Yeah, you know, I think that the most important thing for us the last, you know, third of the season was figuring out that. Uh, offensive chemistry and maintaining the continuity um, you know, of what we've built is more important than uh, you know, anything else for us. And so with Chris Cloutier uh, coming out of the lineup due to injury, we had a left-handed guy coming out of the lineup. And for us, you know, the lefties compete with the lefties and the righties compete with the righties when it comes to who's going to play on game day. And so pumping KJ into that spot that that was vacant with Klutz going going out, it was a no brainer for us. You know, it allowed us to maintain our continuity. It allowed us to build on what we've established. And KJ and Klutz actually have 
a lot of the same strengths. Each are unbelievably good finishers. Each are uh, great passers. Each are a threat to dodge by you and score using different tools. You know, KJ is going to beat you with a little more lateral quickness and explosive speed. Uh, Cloutier is going to beat you a little bit more with uh, quickness for his size, but then power. You know, he gets a quarter step and he's pushing in. You know, it is uh, it, it, it's a problem. And so each have different ways of becoming threats to score off the dodge, but their skill sets are very, very similar as it relates to their ability to finish and feed. And so I'm not surprised at all by KJ's success statistically. Um, with that said, you know, he made a couple of unbelievably good plays on his own that were not, you know, scripted plays. He gets a really tough ground ball uh, in transition to score his first goal. He gets another ride back for his second goal. You know, those are just great plays being made by a great competitor and really a great teammate. You know, you had mentioned that he played in game uh, five uh, or week five, which was actually game six in Minnesota. And then he hadn't played lacrosse in a month. We didn't dress him in Colorado Springs. He didn't dress up in Albany in both games. And so this was his first game back in a month. And he obviously popped off and played a great game. But what people don't see is that when we notified him that he wasn't going to be dressing in Colorado Springs after playing very, very well for us, uh, you know, he didn't pout. He didn't feel sorry for himself. His response was, you know, I understand 100%. I'll be ready to go when called upon. Whatever helps the team win, I'm in favor of. Now, that is something that you can build your locker room around. And that's what uh, every coach wants to have their players say to them. That's what every player on the team wants to have as a teammate. And that's what defines uh, a professional. And he responded professionally. And so it was uh, a pleasure and an easy decision to put him in the lineup for the playoffs against the Archers. There were zero reservations. We knew it made sense from an offensive chemistry standpoint, but we also knew that we were making the right decision putting somebody in that has the intangibles that KJ has uh, shown to have. And, you know, it's just great when a guy that's so team first, uh, you know, fits in uh, and, and, and makes your offense succeed. And that's exactly what he did. You talk about the continuity, obviously, with your offense. We we saw early in the year you were kind of running the offense in a 2-2 set. Obviously, we've seen sort of that trip set with, you know, the righties and the lefties. Uh, how has that changed or, I should say, benefited your offense and, and benefited, obviously, your team? You know, I think everything is an evolution. And in the beginning of the year, even going to training camp, you know, we had a roster that was comprised of, uh, you know, some guys with a lot of box experience. And we had some guys that were uh, predominantly more field players. And each group of players are among the very best players on the planet at what they do. And last year in the bubble, we ran sort of a hybrid offense where, when the field guys were in the lineup, we ran a little bit more of a field style offense. And when the box guys were in there, we ran a little bit more of a box style offense. And we just felt like over the course of the first five, six games, we were toggling in and out between a couple of different schemes. 
And ultimately we decided that, uh, you know, the box style offense was probably the best fit for us. And that the players that we had at our disposal, knowing we were really going to dress eight guys, that it seemed to make the most sense for our locker room. And since we've made that change, the result is we've been, you know, a lot more competitive. We've been a lot more dangerous on the offensive end. Even when we don't score, we seem like we're getting more depth in our possessions, which gives our offense, uh, you know, the ability to take a few more chances. It gives our defense the ability to play every possession with more energy. And, of course, you know, obviously the success of Blaze Reardon, but really the success of Max Adler uh, in the wings at the faceoffs, they've gone from a group that was winning, you know, about 40% to uh, almost 60% over the course of the last third of the season. And that is critical. You know, you look at the teams in this league that are, um, you know, scary teams, they're all having face-off success. You know, certainly us at this point, the season max has been incredible the last uh, four games. Uh, you look at certainly what Joe Nards has done for the Whipstakes over the last three years. You look at the success of uh, Withers and Ryland Reese and Zach Courier for the Dogs. And then, of course, you look at Trevor Baptiste, who, in my opinion, has had the best summer of, of any of uh, the face-off men. And those are the four teams that are going to be playing this weekend in the semis. And so um, the effects of a successful face-off group cannot be overstated in the PLL. Obviously, too, Coach, your, uh, your defense. Your offense has been playing great. Uh, your defense in recent weeks has really been coming tight. And obviously, it's been thanks in, in, in recent weeks and obviously the last two seasons uh, to Blaze Reardon, uh, obviously your goalie. You mentioned his name there before, uh, who for a third straight season finishes atop the league leaderboard in saves and towards the top in save percentage, finishing the regular season, saving 61% of the shots that he faced, which – comes as no surprise as the two-time goalie of the year and 2021 goalie of the year finalist favorite he's seen a ton of rubber over the past two seasons continuing into this season but that hasn't really been the story the lot you know this past weekend hasn't really been the story uh you know the weekend before out in albany as reardon only had to make 12 saves in a win against the archers in week eight then in a loss later that same weekend he made 13 and he made just 13 last weekend against the archers in that quarterfinal win so trying to limit the number of shots that reardon faces limiting the number of scoring opportunities seems to be an area of emphasis for your defense here the last couple weeks. Yeah, honestly, I feel like our defense has been connected all season long. You know, certainly we have had a couple of challenging situations. Uh, you know, Dan Coates was playing close for a while. Johnny Serdick was playing close to start the season. Johnny Serdick was playing close. Dan Coates was playing up top. Ian McKay was playing pole. Uh, you know, Coatsy Hurts is back down in Baltimore. Johnny goes back down to close. We're able to get C.J. Costabile out of the players' pool. Um, you know, we move Ian McKay to short stick D mid. And so, you know, we've, we've been a work in progress at times, positionally there. But I just think that Ryan Curtis has done such a good job keeping our defensive uh, personnel educated about what we're trying to do. And I think it's been a strength of our team the entire season. You know, certainly Blaze Reardon, again, he's the best player in the world. He's absolutely the best goalie, not even close. But he's the best player in the world, and he's played like that every single game. Whether he's had, you know, 20-plus saves or 12 or 13, you know, you look at the amount of shots that he's seen, some of that 
obviously, was due to lack of faceoff success in the first half of the season, but he's been consistent at that end throughout. You look at Jack Raletta, who has emerged as, I think, the number one cover guy on the planet right now. you got Jared Newman, who started in the All-Star game and deserved to. you got Johnny Sertic, who's playing his best season for us. You look at uh, you know the impact that Troy Ray has had. He's having his best season by far. C.J. Costabile not only has played great on the defensive end, he's also been a threat scoring, uh, I think he's had three twos for us, um, you know, and, and just as a stud. And then obviously Ian McKay has had three twos. Maybe C.J. only had two. But Ian McKay's had three twos, played great defense. Mark Lucini, Pat Resch, and again, the success of Max Adler just limits the amount of defense that we play. I, I feel like we've known who we are on the defensive end throughout the summer. It's the offensive end that we, you know, really had to try to figure out. We had some player turnover. We had to make some tough decisions, um, you know, and we made the decisions. And when we make the decisions, we're going to be, you know, proactive and honest in our communications with our players when we make, um, you know, specific choices. But again, every time you put somebody in the lineup, you're taking somebody out and, you know, taking somebody out of the lineup, is, is probably the worst part of the job. Uh, but again, I, you know, you, you, you gotta make decisions that are in the best interest of what the group's goal is. And the group has one goal, that's to win the PLL championship. We tell these guys day one, we don't care who plays. I don't care who plays. Ryan doesn't care. Matt Panetta, our offensive coordinator, doesn't care. You know, we simply want to put, uh, you know, 19 strong out on the field and try to win each situation within, uh, you know, within the game. And while we played seemingly better and better over the last few weeks, we have yet to play a complete game. And my hope is that we have not played our best game yet. And if we can, if we can bring that on Sunday, the hope is that that's going to be enough to knock off uh, a very, very strong Atlas team. Knock off a very good Atlas team, try to get into that championship game, and then obviously looking to get that goal, accomplish that goal of winning that PLL championship. And as you said, your defense has really tightened up really all season, as you were saying. 11.7 goals allowed all season. That's third best in the league. Just over 10 goals allowed over the last three games. So definitely tightening up here, uh, especially in that fourth quarter against the Archers when uh, really the offense needed, the defense needed too. Your team went into halftime in that game with an 8-5 lead. The Archers put four goals in the back of the net in the third quarter to make it a one-goal game. But this defense, as you said before, led by Jack Rowlett, Jared Newman, Johnny Sturdick, that group able to clamp down on the Archers, allowing just one goal in that fourth quarter, holding Will Manny scoreless, Marcus Holman to just one goal, helping your team advance to this semifinal where, Coach, you're going to be meeting a streaky and red-hot Atlas team that's coming off their first playoff win in franchise history. And all season, we've watched as that group came together, started stringing together wins. A young team that head coach Ben Rubier stripped apart, put back together over the offseason. They come into this semifinal having won six of their last seven games. And the centerpiece of that rebuild and that retool is a guy that you drafted about a year and a half ago in attackman, Jeff T. You mentioned his name there before. You selected him late in that 2020 college draft. He opted to return to school, so you lost his rights. Now in the PLL, he's the former number one overall pick to the Atlas. He's been phenomenal through his rookie season among the league leader in points, already an MVP finalist, all while doing it in uh, two less games 
than everyone else, which is obviously just so uh, incredible just to think about in and of itself. But defensively, how do you plan on slowing him down and attempting to stop him while also accounting for the best, you know, for the, the rest of the pieces on, on this offense, especially like the other centerpieces and guys like Brian Cosby, Eric Law, and rookie Jay Carraway? Yeah, I mean, the first part is obviously at the X. I mean, the best defense that we can have is to limit the amount of offensive possessions that they have. And so the hope is that uh, through the much improved play of Max Adler and uh, the support that he gets from our wings, the hope is that we can win more faceoffs. And if we're able to have more success at the X and more success uh, when the ball is on the ground, you know, certainly we're going to have more opportunities and they're going to have less opportunities, which is going to be one way to hopefully minimize their success on the offensive end. You know, I think that the last time we played them, you know, uh, as we mentioned earlier, Jack Rillette was not in the lineup. And we, uh, you know, we certainly felt him not being there. You know, he's he's an unbelievable cover guy. He's also an unbelievable uh, slider. Uh, but, he's, but he's a great teammate and he's a great leader. And that group between him and Jared and Johnny, you know, I don't know if anybody's throwing out three cover guys that are all number one cover guys, um, you know, in this league. That's what they are. And so we're going to have to be creative in the way that we um, try to stop them. And I, and I don't think you're going to really be able to stop them. You know, what we're really hoping to be able to do is to have some effectiveness with our scheme and, and can get them to hopefully waste some possessions as they adapt to what we're doing. Uh, you know, Ben and Brooksy, uh, you know, are awesome offensive minds and they are going to make adjustments just like we're going to make adjustments. And I think that given the, um, the talent that they roll out, not only Jeff T, who's unbelievable and plays a, you know, a very unique game. He really does. He, he makes everybody better, um, you know, in such a subtle and, 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 and sort of humble, understated way. And you don't realize it until you see he's four and four after the game and you got, wow, I, I just, you know, he is just an assassin, that guy. But again, you know, between Brian Costabile, who's playing as well as any midfielder in the league, you've got Romar, who's playing the best I've seen him play in terms of being able to spread teams out, either going right to right or right to left and being able to hit, Again, two-pointers on the run. You look at Bucaro creates matchup problems. Caraway creates matchup problems. You know, is there anybody that's more opportunistic and unselfish than uh, Eric Law? I, I don't think so. You know, they really are a dynamic team with no weaknesses. You know, Mark Cockerton, if you're not aware of where he is, he can pop off for three goals. And the list goes on and on. And so it's not lost on us that this is a very dangerous offensive team that seems to know exactly who they are. And so we're going to have to do uh, a few things very, very well in order to slow them down. And, and we know we got our hands full in trying to create those respective strategies. Trying to disrupt, obviously, uh, their obviously what, what they're trying to do, try to disrupt uh, their their rhythm that they're getting in and obviously making changes and adapting as we go. And in that week five loss to the Atlas, it was those three attackmen, Teet Law and Caraway, that really carried that Atlas offense. They combined for nine goals in what was a four-goal 
Forrest's day for the rookie Jeff T. So we'll, so we'll uh, wait and see what you and your defense schemes up to try to slow him down along with those other weapons on this Atlas offense. And you mentioned it, uh, mentioned it there before. Obviously, uh, the first step is slowing down Trevor Baptiste, uh, who is a face-off specialist of the year finalist this year. He had a huge day the last time you, your two teams met, as you mentioned there, winning 19 of 27 draws, good for 70%, and then he capped that off with a goal in that Week 5 game. Max Adler, though, as you mentioned before, has been playing much better over the last couple weeks. He comes in to this game, winning 70% of his face-offs in the last two games. So obviously the hope is that he'll continue to step up here for you and win some of these draws at the stripe, win some of these possessions for you, uh, and then obviously help out your offense, help out both your, your defense as well. 100%. You know, I don't know if there's a player in the league that's more improved over the course of the season than Max Adler. Uh, you know, you listen to him talk, and he will not take credit for anything. Yet his performance against Stephen Kelly in the playoff game, I, I thought made him the MVP of that game. A, again, as well as KJ played on the offensive end, as, as well as Dane Smith played in the midfield, as well as you know Jack played in limiting Grant Amen, as, as well as Blaze played in that game. Max Adler to me was the MVP of that game. You know, and and he's just played better and better and better uh, over the course of the season. And let's face it, you know the cadence and the setup in the PLL is different from that in the MLL. And he was absolutely, absolutely undoubtedly the best uh, face-off guy in the MLL. And with, you know, the talent that they have in the PLL and the change in the pre-whistle setup and the associated cadence, you know, it takes a little while to get used to that. And Max is a student of his position and he has uh, really zeroed in on the subtleties that he needs to, address in order to have success and you know look at what he's done since that game I mean he was he was phenomenal against the cannons the week before that we played uh you know Trevor and Trevor came out and and he took it to us out in Minnesota and I know that has fueled Max's desire to uh improve and and the proof is in how he played in Colorado Springs through both games um, up in Albany against the Archers and against the Redwoods, and then certainly his best performance to date, I think, was uh, was the playoff game against Stephen Kelly, who's a stud. And, you know, I'm very, very confident that the Trevor, the, the Max Allo that Trevor Baptiste and the Atlas are going to see um, on Sunday is significantly different than the one that they saw um you know, in, in game six for us. And we're still going to have our hands full. There's no question about it. They are, you know, as proven as proven can be at the X and in the middle of the field. But I, I, I believe the pressure is on Trevor Baptiste and the pressure is on the Atlas and the pressure, you know, is on their wing play because, um, you know, that was a critical part to them beating us in Minnesota, and it's certainly something that we have focused on, and we'd like to think that, you know, we're going to be a tougher out in that area of the game this time around, and that is certainly going to be critical to, you know, the ultimate goal of trying to win the game. 
Definitely a critical uh, aspect coming into this semifinal game with the Atlas. We will definitely be watching very closely that face-off battle at the Stripe. So definitely uh, something to watch. Coach, before I let you go, Chris Cloutier, he did not play uh, in that quarterfinal game as we, we've been talking about. Uh, what's his status like going into this semifinal? Obviously, we have a week here before that game, but what's his status looking like? You know, we're monitoring his uh, progress very, very closely. You know, I, I spoke to our trainer about it a day ago, and, and he was at about 80% of recovery. And, you know, we're going to wait until the last possible moment. The good news is that, you know, if he's not able to play, we know that KJ can stay in that role and, and, and allow us to have offensive success. But quite frankly, you know, I think that we're going to be most dangerous when we have, uh, you know, all of our most talented players playing together, um, you know, within scheme. And so that would suggest that, uh, that we need Kluge back, but we also um, are extremely confident in KJ. And to be honest with you, you know, anybody that we're going to put into the lineup on game day, we have the utmost confidence that they're going to play within scheme and, uh, and, and help us win the game. And so certainly we want Kluge back. Um, you know, but we are planning in case that is not an option for us. Either way, I think you're going to see ideally uh, our best performance of the year on Sunday. And we're going to need it because this is a team that's played extremely well all summer long and uh, is very, very well coached. Rookie Mac O'Keefe, what, what uh, steps have you seen him take this season? Obviously, all-time leading goal scorer at the college level. Coming into the PLO, different rules. Obviously, he's, he's not playing attack. He's being, uh, you know, worked in as coming out of the box as a midfielder. What steps have you seen him take here uh, this season through that, through that first year? I just can't say enough about Mac O'Keefe's, uh, you know, complete commitment to the team's success with zero ego and zero meanness. Uh, you know, he is just uh, a soldier to his teammates' success. Uh, he plays within scheme as well as anybody, uh, you know, as such a prolific goal scorer as a college player. You know, you would think that he would be sort of hunting goal scoring opportunities outside of scheme and at the expense of our offensive plan and it couldn't be less the case i mean he he takes advantage of the opportunities he gets and he gets his chances within the framework of the offense he uh you know is completely selfless and just wants to win and 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 to be able to bring a guy in that's that talented that has intangibles as a person that you want to take on as characteristics of your locker room and of your culture, it just, it, it, you just can't overstate how important that is. And his unselfishness, his ego-less approach is something that, you know, really is the fabric of, of what we're trying to create as a team. And, and uh, he's been a total pleasure. It's been exciting, obviously, to watch him in this rookie season. We're expecting much bigger things as well as he obviously continues on in his pro lacrosse career. Coach, 13% is what the fans, 13% of fans had you guys beating the Archers. 3.2% uh, in the championship bracket had the chaos to win the championship. I know you're trying to get that number closer and closer to zero. How many fans do you think picked the chaos this weekend uh, against this Atlas team? You know, I, I really, I, I don't care. 
it doesn't it doesn't affect me. And what I will say is the the less people that uh, pick us, the uh, the more they fan the flame. But honestly, you know, all of that is is noise one way or the other. And uh, you know, we've got all the motivation that we want in our locker room. You know, I think it's uh, you know part of the tongue-in-cheek humor of some of the guys on our team, and certainly uh, some of our staff at times pointing that fact out. But honestly, you know, we have 19 guys that have zero self-doubt and are uh, you know committed to staying in the moment and, and winning that moment with focus, energy, and toughness. And that's what we're going to do, uh, regardless of the amount of people that pick our success. Fuel the flame. I haven't heard that when I was thinking, uh, or fan the fire, I should say. I was thinking maybe fuel the fire, fan the flame. Either Definitely way, like it there. A bunch of Fs and alliteration, and uh, <laughs> you know, it all works, doesn't it? Yeah. Coach Towers, I can't thank you enough for taking the time today to join us. Best of luck this weekend against the Atlas, and I hope to uh, talk to you soon, hopefully uh, on the other end here of a playoff win, possibly championship win, uh, depending on uh, when we get you back here. Love it. Just make sure you don't pick us. All right. Thanks for having you me. Got it. Hope to you guys talk to you guys afterwards. Thanks for everyone you all you do for the sport. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thank all you right. as well for everyone watching and or listening. Goal line extended will continue as we look ahead to this weekend's game. So do not go anywhere. We will be right back. You're listening to Goal Line Extended on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. Welcome back to Goal Line Extended. I appreciate you all for tuning in as we continue to look ahead to this weekend's PLL semifinals. I hope you all enjoyed our interview with Chaos Head Coach Andy Towers. And another huge thank you to Coach Towers for joining us today. But we're going to continue on. Austin is back with us. Great stuff, uh, as always, from Coach Towers as he prepares for Sunday against the Atlas. He didn't give us much on the status of attacking Chris Cloutier, but obviously feeling comfortable with the personnel that he has. The Chaos have 24 players on the active roster, not including Cloutier, so it's likely that he would return as the 25th if healthy, but preparing for this semifinal against the Atlas, an unfamiliar you know, team really for, for the Chaos. If you look at the past two seasons, you have uh, you got to love the energy, I should say, from Towers ahead of this weekend, which it seems that he always brings you know, that, that great energy at all times. That, that guy is electric 24-7. He is... It's between him and Nat St. Laurent, my two favorite coaches to speak to in the league because they just get you fired up just to hear them talk about the game. You can tell how important it is to them and how much it means to them to coach in this league and to be able to play or not play, excuse me, to just be able to be involved in the league and in lacrosse. It's really cool to see Coach Towers, you know, he's he's a week out from this game and he's still that fired up about it. Like it's, it's exciting. I'm excited to see what he does on the sidelines. He's going to. They're going to have some more clips or some more gifts or something this weekend. He's going to be ready to go. Absolutely. Definitely looking forward to that. Obviously, in, uh, in terms of uh, attacking Chris Cloutier, we're recording this on Monday night. So as of that time, depending on when you're watching this or listening to this at home, we haven't gotten any updates on Chris Cloutier's status at this point. Hopefully we'll have more come Friday's show. But this uh, for both of these teams, this is not a routine meeting, as I was saying before, as the Chaos and Atlas have only played in three games against each other thus far over the PLO's first three regular seasons. So very different from what we were talking about last week with the Chaos and Archers. They've played each other many, many times, I think like eight times over the first uh, three seasons here, the Redwoods and Whipsnakes. That's become mainly the biggest matchup that we've seen. Uh, Atlas and Cannons, that was 
the third time we saw them in uh, that, that quarterfinal. That was the third time they'd played each other this season. But in terms of the Alice and Chaos, they played twice in 2019, splitting the season series. And then they met back in week five, a game that the Alice won 16 to 10. They did not play in 2020. And then speaking of Cloutier's status, we'll hopefully have more on the status of Atlas goalie Jack on Cannon ahead of Sunday. And we'll be talking much more about this game come Friday as the Chaos seek a second straight trip to the championship game. The Atlas are playing in their first semifinal, coming off their first playoff win, and they're seeking their first appearance in the championship game. They are favored by a goal and a half. And this is two teams that have been red hot since the All-Star break, definitely expecting fireworks out of our first game on Sunday morning. And we'll also hopefully hear some updates regarding Water Dogs attackman Michael Sowers, who has not played since he suffered a head injury back in week one in Austin. Second meeting of the season between these two teams. The War Dogs took the first one back in week seven, but the Whip Snakes seem to be back to the Ship Snakes. Two-time defending Ship Snakes. I'd imagine Coach Copeland and the War Dogs would like to have Mike Sowers back as they seek their third fra- uh, their third or their first franchise playoff win. Yeah, that'd be nice. I know we talked about him during Flash last week, and you know, if if he's back, that'd be a huge you know feather in their cap to have. I, I don't know if that's the saying. I'm sort of losing the ability to put sentences together as I get more tired today. Ryan, apologies, but um, you know, my having Michael Sowers is better than not having Michael Sowers is what I should be saying right now. Um, if he doesn't play, I mean, the Water Dogs are doing fine. Their offense looks fine from what it is. I mean. You got Connor Kelly, you've got Zach Courier, who, you know, he, he got a, I saw a tweet today. He's getting some MVP, you know, a yeah, little a bit of love he's the there from the league. He's getting a lot love of love to see that. Um, you know, Mikey Schlosser, you, you got all these guys. And then you've got that attack unit that's at times been very good. I think, you know, uh, Ben Reeves needs to get back to just sort of doing what he was doing. Um, if he's efficient, I think that team's a lot scarier on offense. Um, so we'll see. I, I don't know. It, it's tough with the whip snakes because it's it's like I said when we were talking about the futures before the Towers interview. It's it, you need to have a bad day from Burnlore and you need to have a fantastic day from Dylan Ward, and both are possible. It's absolutely within the realm of possibility. Dylan Ward has been playing great lacrosse. Yeah, more Ward. more so the latter than the former. You know, I think Burnlore. I, I could be very much wrong, and I very much am wrong most of the time. So. You know, not really, not really an expert, but it is what it is. Um, but you know, Kyle Burnlore, he, he he's a good goalie. He's had some tough stretches this season. Um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he comes back and has a massive game. So yeah, I, I, it's it's really can the Water Dogs defense hold up against that offense is the biggest thing for this game. Um, if they can't, it's going to be a very very long day for them, quite honestly, because you know Dylan Ward can only do so much. Blaze Reardon's the only goalie I know that can really stand on his head and single-handedly win his team a game. Um, and that's all due respect to Wardo, but you in this league, you shouldn't have to rely on a goalie making, you know, 20 to 25 saves to win a game. You should be able to have enough firepower to get you over that hump if a goalie has that big of a performance. And, that's, you know, I'm sort of talking in circles here. That's happened. Blaze has made a bunch of saves in the chaos, scored a bunch of goals. It's not like it hasn't happened before. But, you know... You know what I'm saying. Like, Wardo cannot be the only guy going in this game. He can't be – you can't just say, oh, Wardo's, Wardo's on one, boys. We're, uh, you know, let's ride him to victory. You can't fall back on that, nor am I saying that the Water Dogs are. But they have to come out and take every possession one at a time and take advantage of every single time they have the ball in the offensive half. Because the Whip Snakes, if you let them go on a run, it's over. Because Nardell is going to control the stripe. Uh 
you know, we've talked about Jake Withers off the top. He's going to make it a war and he's going to beat the crap out of you with uh, Courier and Ryland. But, you know, there's only so much you can do against a guy that gets the clamp as much as uh, Nardella does. And for some reason, defenses love rotating off Zed Williams for a step down. So, you know, you, you really don't want to give the whips that buffer. It's bad enough when you're trying to climb back for maybe a one or two goal lead. If you give them a three or four plus goal lead, it's 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 a big hill to climb back up from. So the, the water dogs have to keep it close. They have to play gritty. Um, it's certainly not going to be a pretty game for them if they want to win. It's going to have to be ugly. And that's how you have to win in the playoffs. So, you know, whatever happens, happens. Um, if they if they drop it, you know, you, lo- you lose to the two-time defending champions. It's not – they're sort of playing with house money is how I would put it at this oh, point. Yeah. Like, there's no pressure, nor do I think there's much pressure on the whip snakes, mind you. There's no pressure at all on the water dogs, I don't think. Because the first – Even the first, as the top seed, it's you're going against the defending yeah, champ. Exactly. The first seed – in some people's eyes means that you are the favorite and that you have to go in with that pressure. But in this case, you're going up against a team that at one point this year was undefeated for 672 straight days. So <laughs> I, I I really think it's, you go out there and you have fun and you try and play your game and see where the chips fall. Um, and that's, that's the mindset that I don't think coach Copeland's going to go in with. They're certainly not just going to go out and throw, you know, caution of the wind and hope it goes right. They're going to go out and have their game plan, but they they need to just go out and enjoy playing because, you know, tomorrow's obviously not guaranteed with, with this league especially. Um, the whips could very much just come out and roll over them, or the, the water dogs could win. I'd be very happy to see the water dogs in the finals. Um, I'd be very happy to see the water dogs in the finals. That, that'd be a lot of fun. Um, I'd like to see that. So, you know what? I, I'm excited to see the Water Dogs win. Hopefully, if not, then it's you know more of the same. The Whip Snakes just being dominant. So it's really it's really a win or a no lose situation with the Water Dogs. It's either you beat the Whip Snakes or you lose to the two time defending champions. We'll have much more on that face off battle come Friday because that's definitely something that we're gonna be watching very very closely in terms of Jake Withers with his wing play against Joe Nardella and his wing play. Obviously, both uh, face off specials have used both or have, have used their wing play, I should say, to their advantage all season. So something definitely that we're going to be watching for in this semifinal game. And then in terms of the Whipsnakes goalie, we could even see Brian Phipps in there. That's still obviously huge question marks in terms of who the Whipsnakes will go to in goal, something that we'll talk about on Friday and watch for on Sunday. But talking about the Water Dogs, they come into this semifinal winning four straight games, the number one seed heading into the playoffs, but they haven't played in two weeks after having a bye week through the first round and then a league-wide bye last week. So definitely something to watch heading into the weekend and something that we'll discuss more on Friday. The Water Dogs, or uh, I should say the Water Dogs coming in as the number one seed. They have not won a playoff game yet, so that is something that they will also be seeking for in this semifinal game. But Austin, before we wrap up today's show, we do have the Whip Snakes seeking that third straight championship. They come in. As the five seed, as we talked about before, their worst regular season finish in the PLL's three seasons, but they'll play the number one seed, as we just talked about here in the semifinals, go on to have favorites, and as the league-wide favorites to win the championship, as we talked about earlier in the show. I'm cornering the Whip Snakes, as we said, here in the semifinals, having stakes with all the other three teams still in the playoffs, the biggest one, as we're saying, being the Water Dogs. But the Whip Snakes as the favorites, two-time defending champs, getting all their pieces back and some. I know you're getting tired of talking about the Whip Snakes, but as it seems to many, uh, in terms of being the favorites, not just for this game against Topsy, but overall for the futures, do you think that they've done enough over the past weeks to getting all this recognition? 
you cut out there for a second. Did I? Yeah. Do you want to start that question over again? Sorry. I would say if you just want to answer it, I don't know if I cut off on you. No, I, sorry. What was the gist of the question? Let's go there and I'll, I'll answer. Do the Whip Snakes, have they done enough to, uh, to, to be the favorites here uh, going into the semifinals? No, oh, absolutely. Um, I won't. I won't take up too much time. It, you've won back-to-back titles. Sorry, everybody. Uh, Ryan cut out on my end, so that's on me. Um, yeah, they they're absolutely the favorites. I, you know, all due respect to the other teams here, but you know, Chaos didn't have a great regular season. The Atlas, as good as they were in the regular season, are coming off. You know, uh, they still have to prove themselves in the playoffs. I think because they're a team that uh, really hadn't they haven't made it they they made it last year because everybody made it last year and they won one game this time but you know it's going to be tough against a team that made the title game last year chaos and then the water dogs same thing they're a team that needs to sort of prove themselves and they this is their first playoff game of the year so (laughs) the whip snakes are battle tested they're proven um i don't see how they couldn't be the favorite at this point regardless of seating um you got to ride with the team that's you know been there before i think in this scenario Getting Matt Rambo back, Zed Williams back to fully healthy. Joe Nardella seems to be in a groove. Uh, you obviously bring in Justin Gutterding. Everything seems to be coming together for this Whipsnakes team. We'll see how it unfolds. But speaking of unfamiliar foes, the Water Dogs and Whipsnakes have met just once in league history as they did not play in last year's championship series. Their only meeting came back in week seven of this season when the Water Dogs won by a score of 11-6. to six. We'll see in a way how that this uh, game unfolds, and we'll have much more on Friday's <clears throat> excuse me on Friday's show. But awesome! <laughs> I want to thank you for joining me today as we look ahead to the semifinal round of the Premier Lacrosse League playoffs. And also, Coach Towers, we appreciate you so much for taking the time to join us today as well. But that is going to do it for today's show. I want to thank you all for watching and or listening. If you are not already, make sure to subscribe to Goal Line Extended on YouTube. Hit that notification bell so that you get notified of future shows. And make sure to subscribe to Lacrosse Flash, uh, Lacrosse Flash excuse me, on YouTube as well. You can also follow along on Instagram and Twitter at GL Extended and at Lacrosse Flash. All the links that you will need will be in the description of the video or podcast that you are watching or listening to right now. And make sure to head on over to lacrosseflash.com as well as the uh, Lacrosse Flash channels that we have. You can check out all of our content looking ahead to the weekend's games and recapping Saturday night's NLL draft. And as I said before, we'll be back on Friday with an all-new goal line extended to continue looking ahead to this weekend's games from Philadelphia. So make sure to like, follow, and subscribe so that you don't miss any of it. I hope you all have a phenomenal week, and we will talk to you on Friday. Cheers. Follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at GL Extended and subscribe to the show on any of your favorite podcast outlets. You can find Lacrosse Flash on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook and online at lacrosseflash.com.